Welcome back to My First Concert. Dave Lee here with Brianne. Brianne, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Well, excited to talk to our guests today here about a number of things. And, of course, the uh, show is available at TalkNorth.com on the Talk North Podcast Network. You can download this wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple or Spotify or wherever. We can do all those good things. And it is brought to you this morning by Star Bank. Great to have Star Bank with us and by Propane, the environmentally friendly energy for everyone. More on those in just a little while. But today we welcome in a couple of accomplished musicians. It's funny because I was saying before, Brianne, I've known these uh, two guys for a long time. And I, I knew they were musical. I had no clue. Uh, uh, I knew Paul a long time ago just as, as uh, Paul Peterson and I knew his family a little bit in the musical background. I had no idea the accomplishments of this guy. And then my buddy Bill McCreevy Jr., who I've known for many, many years, never knew he was a musician. And then I went to see a concert where they debuted the new uh, CD these guys put together uh, by the band Red Stiletto. And I was blown. I walked out of there going, I just feel so stupid. I did, had no idea. And that wasn't the first time I felt stupid, but... So anyway, welcome, you guys. Thank you for being here. Oh, great to be here. Yeah, it's fun to be here with you. It's fun to talk to musicians about their first concert. And so let, let, me, start with, uh, let me start with you, Paul. The first concert not at, that you attended, do you remember it? Among the first. You know, it's goofy for me because I come from a musical family, and my first concert was probably one I was a part of. So that's... That doesn't count, right? So we'll take that out yeah. of the play. All right. <laughs> doesn't so doesn't count let's, today. Let's count today. Okay. <laughs> I really, you know what I think it was? Because my mom, Jeannie Arlen Peterson, played at the banjo at the State Fair for years and years and years, I used to go to the, the shows. What she would be playing back in those days, she'd be like, here's five bucks. Have a good time, kid. <laughs> she'd send me off, and I would go to the grandstand. And I think it was either Mac Davis or the Doobie Brothers. It was one of those two, but back in those days, you know, I'd wander off through the state fair, and back in those days, and they'd have the dime toss, and I'd get a bunch of dimes, and I'd come home with like 35 ashtrays. <laughs> what are you going to do with these? You're 10. You don't smoke, do you? <laughs> so Mac Davis or the Doobie Brothers. I, I can't remember which one, but both great memories of a simpler time, you know, the great, great state get-together. I saw the Doobies uh, pre-COVID, and they sounded, I couldn't believe how good they sounded, still. They are great, and what's cool about it is that Michael McDonald has become a friend of the families, and he's one of the big influences on me. I was doing an interview yesterday, as a matter of fact, they made me pick my top five records, and I went through my normal Stevie Wonder, Earth, Wind & Fire, Rocky Robbins, Miles Davis, and then I went the Doobie Brothers, and they kind of went, huh? <laughs> and... Minute by Minute was one of my favorite records. And it, you know, harkens back to me going to my first concert, you know, with the Doobie Brothers. And Michael, what a voice. In in the last 10 years, we've become friends. And what an incredibly nice man he is. Yeah, you'd hear him, uh, I mean, with James Ingram and all sorts of... Oh, yeah. You know, uh, I hear him on with Bruce Hornsby and something. I mean, the guy was, he backs up a lot of people. He, he backed up so many people. It became a parody on Saturday Night Live, if we remember that. He would run from one recording <laughs> session to the next recording <laughs> session. <laughs> was that speaking in tongues? What was our... <laughs> I don't know, but we liked it. So, Bill, what was yours? Well, I tell you, I, it goes back to ninth grade... In high school, so that's like 1977. Oh, you gave your age. And uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Do the math. And well, uh, and it was Rush. 
Uh, oh. the, the band had formed, our first uh, uh, band was Black Lace was the name. And uh, the four of us, we were so young, in fact, that the bass guitarist's father took us to the old Met Center. Uh, we had to go with a parent. I mean, we didn't drive. You know, you got to get there somehow. And, um, and so uh, uh, we went and saw Rush at the old Met Center that was torn down then for uh, making the Mall of America. They tried to tear it down. Uh, what, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Whoops, let's take two, ladies and gentlemen. And yeah. See. So, but it was a great concert. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, our guitarist at the time, um, first guitarist of any band I was ever in, uh, Jeff Johnson, he was a huge uh, fan uh, of Alex Lifeson, the guitarist of Rush. And then I was, of course, a huge fan of Neil Peart, who I think was possibly the the greatest drummer ever. Were you a fan when you went, or when you after you saw him? Uh, when I went uh, before, because I had been tuned into the album and and uh, and the band, and uh, but you know this is pre everything, pre internet, pre you know. Oh, yeah. So you had a vinyl album that you'd be looking at and listening to on the turntable and reading every liner uh, note. Yeah, and then uh, and then of course back in the eight track tape days and. Um, and what's funny is that, so, so that, that was a huge influence, but also Buddy Rich, um, uh, at the Carlton at a very young My age. My cousin played with Buddy Rich. Bobby Peterson played with Buddy. Wow. He's an amazing, <laughs> yeah. I think he, he did things that people today, just most drummers cannot do. Uh, he was an amazing drummer. We used to have, when we were on the road with Steve Miller Band, there was a tape circulating of Buddy Rich cussing out his band. <laughs> that is so brilliant. I mean, I mean, it traveled and, and went from band bus to band bus to band bus to band bus. Someone actually ended up putting it to music. It was so <laughs> ridiculous. He was, uh, he was an interesting character. I didn't, know the, oh, I didn't know the character. I let me find them for oh, you. But I knew the drummer. Here. Price of greatness, right? Oh, my gosh, you guys. It's just classic. Because anybody watched The Tonight Show probably knew who Buddy Rich was. Oh, yeah. If they of didn't course. know Drummers Pre, they knew they knew him from Johnny Carson. what was the other drummer's name? Edge O'Shaughnessy? That's correct. Wow. And my cousin played on The Tonight Show for 30 years. Stop it. What Tommy did, Peterson. What did he play? He was a tenor player. Still, still a great tenor player. Lives in Cali. Wow. Uh, so he played with... With Doc, With Doc too, probably. Sure. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. What a great gig to have. Show up at the studio, play for a couple hours, go back home. Yeah. All done. Thank you. Check, please. <laughs> check. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and now we're in reruns. Another check, please. Yes. Uh, Paul, as a musician, who, who are all the people you've played with? Oh, man. My family, number one. Right. I always got to say that first. They they were the, the ones who mentored me and, and uh, encouraged me. And then... Right out of high school, I auditioned for a More Stay in the Time and was in that band for Purple Rain. And then Prince formed a band around me called The Family. Uh, and that was, you know, in the mid-80s. And then I broke away from Prince, much to his chagrin. He didn't love that. And I went and had two solo records, one on MCA and one in Atlantic. And then went on to tour with people like Donnie Osmond and... And Peter Frampton and Kenny Loggins and I don't know who else I'm forgetting in there, but uh, Olita Adams. It's been just a great ride, really. Bill, how'd you guys get together? Uh, it's interesting. Actually, the Dyna Rotary Club. That's right. It's probably the best thing that ever happened to me uh, in my life or, you know, one of the top things. Um, it's really a great organization. And then meeting Paul and his family and 
So I, I, I came to Paul. You could tell the story however you want to. I, <laughs> I, came, to him, I came to him one night and I, we sat out. I said, I want to talk to you. I talked to him at Rotary and, you know, uh, after one of the meetings. And then, and then we ended up in your backyard by the fire pit talking. And it was, it was pre-COVID or it was just COVID. You know, COVID was coming in. And, uh, and, and what did I say to you? What's your he recollection? Said, I, I want to, I'm a song. I'm, I write songs. I'm really into playing music. And, you know, I've always known him as a funeral director in, in for Washburn McCreevy and owner and whatnot. And we were buddies and he came up to me and said, I really want to maybe do some writing with you. I went, Oh, isn't that cute? <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> I mean, come on, just go in the studio with your buddy. What's gonna what's it gonna harm? We were in our own COVID pod here. So we went into the studio and he started coming with these riffs and I would grab a guitar and I'm like, dang, Billy. This, this is cool. So he surprised the heck out of me. And we ended up, you know, I thought it was gonna be a one afternoon thing. One and done. I wanted to do this for my friend. Right. And I'll get it. Then I'm going to get rid of him. And then he's done. That's right. <laughs> and then he's done. And then let's get a real musician. Let's get a real drummer and a real singer in here yeah, instead. But it was such a great surprise. I mean, I was shocked at how adept he was at songwriting and getting his ideas across. And we ended up really gelling on these ideas. And I would interpret. I'm an interpreter. <laughs> and a good one at that. Would you go, nah, 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 or whatever he would do. And I'd go, okay, he had the groove. He had the idea for the guitar part. And I would translate in that into music. Then we would, you know, continue demoing things out. He'd write some lyrics. He'd sing right in the studio. And this stuff turned out better than I ever would have expected. And eight, eight songs later, we've got a record called Red Stiletto. Yeah. It's been really fun. We got four of them under construction right now, too, that um, we're about halfway done with, with all four of them. And so we'll be, you know, the goal is to eventually do a vinyl album and probably, you know, have a, have a dozen songs all on the same album. And Vinyl is back. Yeah. Isn't that something? It is so cool. Yeah. I remember pulling out my Bangin' Olufsen one time, and the kids said, oh, what is that? what's that for? Right. So we used to play albums on these things. <laughs> and, you know, there's a new album out, too, that yeah. Paul is so humble. Uh, St. Paul Peterson. First of all, let's start. Yeah, let's get that Let's nickname. ask, how did that happen? St. <laughs> Paul Peterson. Well, Prince started calling me St. Paul. And my mother was like, St. Paul, this is a very Catholic woman. <laughs> and she's like, St. Paul, you better live up to that name or I'm going to spank Prince. That's what she said. You know, she was in her 80s by then. So, yeah, St. Paul, that's been my nickname since 85. And uh, so I have a new record out called Break On Free with a lot of great musicians that I, I also did during COVID. That was a really incredibly prolific time for many musicians because we weren't so crazy. I mean, we weren't on the road. We had time to actually go catch our breath and get bored for 20 seconds and go, what are we supposed to be doing with our lives? We're not on the road. And, and we all went into the studio. Billy and I, myself, my brothers and sisters, and, and all these different artists. There's millions of them. So there's a lot of new records coming out, and mine is included in that. It just came out last Friday. I did some traveling, did a concert, sold a concert in California with my band St. Paul and the Minneapolis Funk All-Stars, which is Prince and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis alumni. So they were around to 
create the music that we love, that's the famous music from the 80s. We get to play all that, and of course we get to play my new music, and it's just been so much fun. And This new record just came out, and we're having a lot of fun with it. How do I get it? Well, I give it to you, first of all. (laughs) That's how you get it. No, go to paulpeterson.com. We're selling vinyl. It's a double vinyl, actually, import from Germany. And we have CDs available as well. However, we totally sold out of them, so I'm importing yet another batch, and it should be here in mid-August, hopefully, depending on how backed up the the, um, shipping is and all that. Mm -hmm. It is so good, I have to tell you. I mean, especially after spending about two years in the studio and having three live performances with Paul, actually four, yeah, counting the Dakota, Crooners, uh, Treasure Island Casino, and St. Pat- St. Patrick's, yeah, uh, Catholic Church in the backyard, which was really fun out outside just a couple weeks ago. But I can tell you, this album, after I'm just blown away by it. It is so good. One song after another, the, each one is better than the previous one. It is so good. I'm going to get my wallet out. Break on free. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it it really is. It it is amazing music. And knowing Paul and how he writes and how he thinks and, and, and he's amazing at, at producing and it's just so good. Thank you, Billy boy. Yeah. Appreciate that. My favorite song is big city. Really? And Blue Cadillac. Okay. Oh, he likes the so rock good. stuff. <laughs> and I mean, Break on Free is a title record. track. And that's that's an amazing song. Um, I, I, you know, the, it's just one after another is just really good. And, and you know, I one of the things I did with Paul, well, the first time we went down to the studio and we didn't know what we were going to do, I ha- we had done two studio tapes back in like a, a 10th and 11th grade you know, with, with black lace. And, um, and then the, the name changed to Rendever, but we did two studio tapes, um, Steve Kilbride. And you said that you knew him, Steve Kilbride studios, which was in his basement, really a nice guy. And, uh, and they called him killer or I know Steve, the guy that owns the studio, he Steve, knew him. Okay. His nickname yeah, was killer. Yeah. Steve knew him. Okay. He said, Oh, I know who he was, but I played this, these songs for Paul. So, you know, there we had like a foundation to work from, and, um, and, but then, you know, I said, maybe we could redo one of these or something like this. And Paul just said, you know what? That was then, this is now let's do something brand new. So the first song we wrote together was called say that you do. Yeah. Say that you do. That's right. That's what we always <laughs> I always say. say that to him. And if you go, and if you shout out to Alexa, if you say, Alexa, play red stiletto, say that you do, or play Red Stiletto Can't Let Go, they'll come up. And, of course, if you just say, Alexa, play St. Paul Peterson, boom, it'll come up. Or if you say St. Paul Peterson, break on free, it'll come up. So if you just want a taste of the music, I, that's while I'm doing stuff around the house, I'd shout it out, Alexa, play this. And it just comes up. That, that was the biggest thing he wanted to do with the record. I said, you know, at our age, we're probably not going to get a lot of airplay. He said, well, the biggest thing I want to be able to do is go, Alexa, play Red Stiletto. <laughs> and hey, and we, we accomplished that. Yeah, we, we did. did. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, buddy. Hey, hey, you could do that on this podcast, too, I found out last week. Isn't Brianne, that, how about that? that? Right? You can play my first concert, right? Ask uh, Alexa to do that, and apparently she'll take care of that, I'm it's told. It's honestly as simple as that. Yeah, let's give it hey, a try. Siri, play Brianne. my first concert. You know, we're going to get back here in just a minute 
And I want to ask Paul about uh, Funk Fridays. I want to ask Billy about his mother shutting the lights off in the basement when he was practicing. All those things still ahead. I do want to thank our friends over at Star Bank. Kind of cool yesterday. I was driving through uh, rural Minnesota, went up to uh, through Maple Lake, and I saw the big billboard there for Star Bank. I saw Andy and some other folks on that billboard, and I thought, this is the coolest family-owned bank with this great family culture. And then I was Eden Prairie, and there's a Star Bank right there in Eden Prairie. So they are in the city. They're in the country. They handle uh, ag-related products. And it was kind of fun driving through the fields that I grew up in and looking at the crops again. And as further north I got, actually a little more moisture up there. But they deal with that every day. And uh, just I was talking with uh, uh, Harry and Andy about the new uh, technology in farming and driving a tractor as a kid and how different it is now. In fact, I'm not sure you even steer it anymore. It's amazing. Well, these are the kind of things they support the needs of our local farmers and all ag-related businesses. And yet in the city, they're doing some great things right here in the metropolitan area as well. So it's a family-owned bank. The folks that own it are there every day. It's high-touch, high-service, and uh, they'll reinvest in the communities they serve face-to-face. They got all the technology, the mobile app, everything you'd want, but they're so community involved wherever they are. They know your name. That's the coolest thing. And you know what's really kind of a unique? They actually have a person, a live person that answers the phone when you call. No. Yep. It's, it's hard to believe it happens. Technology's great. But they have everything covered. Star Bank. I would check that out when you get a chance at starbank.net. But you're really going to like these, these people. Loaning local lending decisions, which really helps make things go a lot smoother. Starbank.net. Okay, let me get back to you, uh, Billy. And I want to talk about your growing up playing. You guys are rehearsing in the basement. And your, your mother, you can't hear anything she's telling you. So apparently she had some system about turning the lights off and on. Is that right? Well, what I did, no, actually, uh, Dave, is uh, the band rehearsed, you know, typically oftentimes a rehearsal would be at the drummer's house because it's too much equipment to move, but we moved it around a little bit, but it's in order to be able to practice on your own. So we played in my basement a lot and I'm grateful for my parents for that. And what was amazing was that my mother, you know, this is pre cell phones and everything. And, and so when the phone would ring and it'd be one of my friends, uh, there were a couple of times when I was uh, playing and I would be just dripping wet and uh, playing with the headset on and listening to cassette tapes and, and um, and then prior to that, of course, were eight tracks. But I would be rehearsing and playing and had my headphones on so I couldn't hear her yelling. And so she'd come down and all of a sudden I'd see her waving her arms. And so I came up with a system where I had to sacrifice the family's light bright. <laughs> and I put it right between my two bass drums. I had two, you know, 22 inch bass drums. And this was in the days that we were playing quite a bit. So I put the light there. I went to Radio Shack, about 50 feet of uh, electrical wire, ran it all the way up into the kitchen. All she had to do was flip one switch. <laughs> the light would, would glare in my eyes between my two bass drums, and boom, I'd stop immediately. I'd check the phone. If no one's on the phone, I'd come right upstairs. And so we had a system <laughs> that, you know, and she'd always say that her dishes would rattle when the band would play, and, you know, but... Um, she, they were very supportive of me. My mother always said I knew where he was and I knew exactly what he was doing when I was playing the drums or when the band was rehearsing. True. So she wasn't too upset with that. Because one of the things you do now for, uh, is if you give somebody's child the gift of drums, it's kind of like, okay, good luck to you. <laughs> it's not in my house. So it's pretty nice right. your mom would put up with the drum set down in the basement. I oh, yeah. Say. And she paid for lessons when I was just a little kid, really. I mean, on a, you know, on a drum pad and then a snare drum. And, 
and I can still see her paying cash. You know, I can still see her paying cash to the Steve Folsted, the guy that gave me the first uh, lesson on a drum set. Uh, and the first song that I learned was 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. That's the hardest song ever to learn. <laughs> why would you Why would you pick that one? I guess Steve started Steve, me at the top. He's, Steve Gadd is probably the finest drummer in the world, and that's one of the most copied, sought-after uh, techniques to be able to play that. And that's your a first drum thing lick? you learn. Yeah. It's, oh, it's a great little drum lick. I thought maybe it's because you had a, a bad relationship you tried to end it. <laughs> well, that 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 followed. <laughs> and more than once. Yeah, there you go. Uh, say, Paul, let me ask you about Funk Fridays. You were talking about COVID. Yeah. You came up with something that's taken off. Well, what's goofy about this thing? First of all, yeah, Funk Friday is a one-minute funk jam that I've done 121 uh, consecutive times in a row, every every single week. I was in New York City in, I think it was March of 20, and that particular day I was doing a concert at the Iridium, which is right near all the Broadway theaters. The news came on that they canceled all the Broadway plays that night, and that was when I did my first Funk Friday, right before my performance. So Funk Friday number one was born, and here we are, you know, two and a half years later, over 200 world-class musicians have contributed to this incredible little series that I have. And it was just born out of fun and camaraderie and to bring some uh, levity and light to this sometimes dark world of ours. And I think music and what you're doing here with this podcast is so cool because music is all about healing. And I really think it's something that is the great uniter in our world. And that's exactly why we put Funk Friday together. That's why people of such stature will contribute to it. There's no money involved. It's all about bringing this to the people to give them a minute of, uh, of, of uh, no noise and no f- fake news and no uh, bashing. It's just music for music's sake. Wow. Yeah. So how do you hear it? It's all over my social media, my uh, on Instagram, St. Paul Peterson, or I have a podcast as well. It's called music on the run. And that's where we, uh, we, Started that. It was actually a ploy to get people to listen to my to my podcast. <laughs> and it took on a life of its own that is just incredible. So yeah. um, not only do we do that, but we have the music on the run. And uh, you, you'll be able to find it all those different places. Concert. I asked you about your first concert. What's memorable about some of the concerts you've played through the years? Anything stand out among the others, whether it be with Prince or whoever? Billy, any of yours that, that kind of... I mean, I've, I've always said, well, one of my favorite concerts was at the old Met Center again, uh, Ario Speedwagon, because, you know, it's very early on and Kevin Cronin and just is, is such a I, just such a great entertainer. And um, and, a, and I think a really good person, you know, and, and a really good guy. And and then um, uh, also uh, my favorite concert probably ever, though, was at Target Field out uh, Paul McCartney. I was there. Yeah, yeah. Paul was there. I got two buddies in the band. It's just so much fun to go, you're with McCartney. Now. <laughs> oh. How are you with McCartney? How great is He's this? He's got autograph stuff. Paul's got autograph stuff in his basement from Paul McCartney. I mean, come on, you know. It's pretty cool. That was a highlight for me. We, we opened up for Paul McCartney at the Hollywood Bowl. It was my last concert with the Steve Miller Band in 1992. And Paul came on the bus, hung out with us, and... I was I missed the Beatles by about four years. I was born in '64, so there was a period of time there I was too young to really get into it. My but my older brothers were like, "Oh my gosh, who's on our bus?" So they were <laughs> freaking out, and we all got autographs. And it, it's been so much fun to to 
be able to be around someone like that through my friends who are playing with them. And really a nice guy, just matter of fact, humble. Uh, it, it's pretty cool that Paul McCartney, he just turned 80, didn't he? Yeah. Isn't that something? What was it like playing with Prince? I never really played with Prince. I sat in with Prince. I was in the Prince organization. He, you know, he, I was in Morstay in the time. That was fun. That was, we rehearsed for like six months, did one whole gig. Then he formed this band called The Family around me and his then girlfriend, Susanna. We rehearsed for six months, did one gig. And then it, that was my end of my time with Prince for that. And then I left his organization. And years later, my brother Ricky came back and was his staff producer at Paisley Park. I, being the little brother that I am, tagged along. Prince and I still weren't talking, but he allowed me in the building and I would play on all his projects. Now, look, if he didn't want me there, he would have kicked me out. Yeah. So he allowed me to be in there. And then much later on in life, we, we, uh, reformed the band that he had started with me called The Family. And we were going to name it The Family and not include him. And he summoned me <laughs> to Paisley Park. You are summoned. So I, I went out there and, you know, he was trying to intimidate me. And, and I, I'm a grown man with two children now, so that couldn't happen. So he's like, you know, you can't have this without the most important person in the band there. I'm like, how do we make that happen? He said, well, first of all, we, we do something different than what you're doing. You have to, you can't have this name. So bottom line, um, I decided to change the name of the band. My wife said, I like my house, okay? We don't want to get into a, a, some sort of a lawyer battle with Prince. He's got more money than us. So we just changed the name. He and I became fast friends after that because I wasn't letting him intimidate me. And we, I gave him crap back. He gave me crap. It was just like a friendship at that point. So it was, it was quite nice. Yeah, and the fact that he talked to you didn't, I mean, he was not, uh, he didn't spend a lot of time chatting, did he? Not until we started, rekindled that friendship yeah. again, which was really cool. And we, you know, I saw him the September before he died. He asked me and my band, LP Music, to to come and play for his album release party. He came up, gave me a great big hug and said, I want to jam with you tonight. And I'm like, okay, Um I just missed Soundcheck, didn't I? I went, yeah, you missed Soundcheck, but you don't need to Soundcheck. You're Prince. I said, set up a, a, a guitar amp over there. He never ended up doing it. That was the last time I saw him, and it was really cool. Do you think this could just be an assumption of what we think of Prince and kind of his genius, madness, whatever you want to call it, him allowing you in the building and then also being playing on the albums and all the music that was being made, is that because he just respects talent? and people that are dedicated to the craft because he just is such a respecter of musicianship and all that, that it superseded any personal BS that you guys could have had. I think you're right on that. I think he actually respected me for leaving him too, deep down, sure. you know, because I stood up for what I believed in and went the route that not many humans would in their right mind would take. <laughs> My family said, are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, no, I'm leaving. Uh, <laughs> So he, I think he really respected that. And I was doing a lot of internet stuff at the same time that he was doing internet stuff, getting our, you know, my product out that way without a major label. He was doing the same thing at that time. And he liked that. So he would see me in the aisles, however, or, or in, in, in the building, he'd be walking towards me. I'd be walking towards him. He would do a Prince 180 and walk the opposite direction <laughs> when he would see me. So we never, until the very last moment when Ricky was, done with his contract there, I wrote him a letter and say, look, I know that we 
didn't see eye to eye for many years, I, but I want to let you know how much you've done for me. You've done for my brother, Ricky. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And that was my way of closure. I get a call the next day that says, Prince wants to see you. So I went in and he wanted me to be a part of his band. He said, Paul, what are you doing for a living? I'm like, I make music. I was here for six years when, <laughs> working on your records. He said, um, do you want, you want to be a part of my band? I went, well, tell me more. He said, well, it's an all meatless band. Meatless band. This was when Mad Cow Disease was, was a thing. So he was trying to make us all be vegetarians. And I was like, no, man, I love you. And thank you for the offer. But, and so that started us back on the road to being buddies again. Isn't that crazy? You bet you didn't know that story. Every time I talked to you, I learned something new. <laughs> so among the uh, concerts, any stand out for you? And that's, I'm not asking for a favorite because that's unfair. But There are a few. Um, Playing with my brothers, probably in the Steve Miller band, in front of the Grateful Dead at a at uh, Shea Stadium, with 70,000 people there, being able to see my brother on one instrument and my other brother on another instrument, pretty darn incredible. Second one would be my family Christmas concert that we do every year, where I the same reaction. I see every single one of my siblings just killing it on their instrument. That's pretty spectacular. And then two personal things for me. Um, I, I played Carnegie Hall and played the Sydney Opera House. And those are two things that, you know, will always stand out in my life. Just to be able to say, hey, I played the Sydney <laughs> Opera House. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I sure did. Yeah. He's always bringing that up, isn't he, Bill? <laughs> always. It, it never, never stops. I don't think I've brought it up since I did it, so you ask. As Paul said, he's played Carnegie Hall. I'll tell you what, I played Crossroads Bar in Siren, Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. 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 When so the, drinking, there, when the yeah. drinking age was 18, <laughs> Dude. and let me tell you, we killed it. We got invited back the second night, and then again a second time. There you go. Yeah, rock on. In Siren. In Siren, yeah, musicians Wisconsin. Musicians dream about that. Oh, that was big time. It <laughs> for us. Uh, more with uh, Paul and Bill here in just a second. I do want to thank the uh, folks at Propane, which is the environmentally friendly energy for everyone bringing us this podcast today. And we all talk about, you know, uh, reducing carbon emissions. It's a big conversation topic right now, obviously, with the price of gas. But how do you reduce those emissions? And yet you got to meet this world's increasing energy needs, right? Well, propane, if you haven't thought about it, here's an excellent way to reduce emissions and yet meet the energy needs we have. It's clean. It's non-toxic. It's an energy source that helps reduce carbon emissions right there. And right now, as a matter of fact, propane's carbon intensity score. And I know you don't have a, a scorecard at home saying, I wonder what propane's carbon intensity score, but I give this to you just so you have an idea of how it works. Their score is 80 here in Minnesota. Grid electricity in Minnesota. This is wind and solar. Their carbon intensity score is 136. So chances are you didn't know that propane was that much cleaner than electricity. But it is, and it's pretty incredible, and we have an abundance of it, too. And the growth of renewable propane means generations to come can use this as well. So millions of us rely on this propane, heating homes, businesses, fueling vehicles, on-road, off-road, a lot more, too. Uh, I was just talking to a buddy the other day who has propane in his truck. Propane, the right energy right now. Find out more about what propane can do for you and, maybe more importantly, the environment. We're going to propane.com. I have to tell you something. It is so surreal for me sitting here listening to Dave because, it, first of all, he's, he's been retired, what, a year? About a year, yeah. But I'm a CCO head. My mother and father 
were on CCO in the 40s and 50s, and my sister, Patty, in the 90s into the 2000s. And to hear your voice and be sitting across from this legend uh, of radio is just so incredibly cool and, and so honored to be here. Really, it's so fun. I'm such a fan of yours. It's, I'm a fanboy right now. Yeah, it is a privilege. Well, I appreciate that, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you a quick way that I get humbled or got humbled uh, back home. In, in, uh, I was there just last weekend, as a matter of fact. And as a buddy of mine I grew up with, we played sports together, you know, we're uh, a year apart. Yep. Uh, uh, and he was knocking down a few in the bar, and I just come back from Boston. I'd done some uh, four Twins games. Uh, when the, in 91 when they won the World Series, and I went back home, and everybody at home on the tractors listened to Twins baseball. And, of course, I didn't think about that, so I'm sitting at the bar with my buddies and our, my old coach, and he slams down a beer and comes over and puts his finger in my chest and says, you're no blank and blank and big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and I had said nothing. I said, well, I said, hey, I said, you, you're right. I said, I talk to the world. You feed it. Thank you. Wow. Well, don't ever forget it," he said, and he walked away and slammed. And he was just felt good. Oh, because you in a small town, yeah. you don't don't think you're something special. Mm-hmm. So that's hopefully never been an issue for me because I'm not. I know that. Oh my! But we think you are. You two guys, holy smokes! I mean, music wise, no, this Paul's the real deal. Yeah, but Billy, I, I, like Paul was talking about, I had no clue, and I've known you for a long time. Did you? Didn't he surprise you? Yeah. I mean, oh, well, no, we've got the kind. CD at home. Yep. There you go. Great writer, great drummer, great singer. You're very kind. Well, Paul is so humble and his whole family. And, you know, one thing, um, I don't know that we mentioned it or not, that that the Peterson family, what was it, first uh, musical Minnesota family or something, the award that you received? It was the Hall of Fame award for, Hall of Fame. for the family. Yeah. A couple of, I guess it was 19, 2019 or something. You're like getting that. one. You're getting a huge award coming up here. I just got it. It was the Minnesota Black Music Award honoree. Which is incredible. I, uh, you know, I, I called back and I went, "Are you sure this is? <laughs> are you sure you got the right guy here? I'm a white kid from Richfield." And they said, "Paul, you've you've been playing black music your entire life. You've done incredible things for the black community and for black music. We want to honor you." And I was, I'm blown away by that. That may be, yeah, how humbling. The neatest thing that's ever happened to me, ever. Congratulations. If you Thank want you. to hear a sample of that. Of what what he is and what he can do, Blue Cadillac, St. Paul Peterson, Blue Cadillac. Oh, it's like an amazing one. song. Oh, it fine. is so good. It makes Johnny Lang look like you know he's an average kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> I've no kid for years. <laughs> oh man, thank you guys. Yeah, well, the yeah the musicians. Are there bands that you actually came after? How does that work in the band world? That Steve Miller wants you, or 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 uh, Prince wants you? They, you just get a call. It's primarily word of mouth and your network mm-hmm. that you have around you. So the Prince call was from my brother-in-law, Stuart Pastor. See if you can follow oh, I know this. Stu, yeah. So Stewie's brother, Stewie's first cousin was the drummer in the revolution, Bobby Z. Hmm. Bobby Z tells Stuart that there's an opening with the time. And, and Stuart, I was playing in his band in high school with Patty he said, Paul, get home from your vacation. I had just graduated from high school. Went and got, did the audition, and that was all word of mouth. Got that gig. The Steve Miller band was, uh, uh, I was signed to Atlantic Records during that whole time. I got a phone call from Ben Sidron, who's been the greatest cheerleader for the, the Peterson family ever. Ben Sidron's a 
world-class jazz musician who wrote Space Cowboy with Steve Miller. Steve is coming out of retirement. Do you want to come on the road and play guitar? I said, I'm not a very good guitar player. Um, what is it? He said, it's Steve Miller. It's about four chords. You can do this. It's going to be fun. Your brother's going to do it. So I got in that band as well. So all of these things are just all about networking and, and uh, how your follow-through is. Are you going to do what you say you can do? Are you going to be uh, a person that you can live with outside of the stage? Because honest to God, you're on stage for an hour and a half. The rest of the time, you're cooped up in a bus. So can you behave yourself <laughs> on a bus and get along with others? That it really and keep your mouth shut, you know, in when you need to. It, it it's there's a pecking order and there's also just some common sense things that some people don't have. Yeah. But that that's really what it is. It's it's all about the network that you have. Yeah, you see it on the documentaries. I mean, you know, I guess the Eagles is a classic example of guys that had enough of each other, but there's a number of bands that you don't think about that. It's like sports, right? These teams probably think everybody loves each other. Yeah, not always the case. No. So, Well, the Eagles, the fun thing about them is that they can get a different bus for every single band member if they want to. <laughs> yeah. That's how they solve that, and they just come together on stage, and that's it. That, I mean, that's how that works. The money's too big. They have to figure a way around it. There's too much money at stake. You know, I'll mention this to you, Dave, is that um, we've had rehearsals uh, at Paul's home. He's got a studio in his home. And to sit there when you're not playing, I mean, it's amazing when you're playing and rehearsing with them, but to be sitting there and talking with Patty Peterson. Who's a great vocalist, oh, by the way. Amazing. I, I'm glad you mentioned Patty because I worked with her, but she... She's an unbelievable vocalist. Yeah, and she's still singing all over the place. If she sure is. And you know what? But... What a great person. What a great yeah. woman. And Billy, mm -hmm. uh, and how amazing it is to talk with him. And Ricky, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just amazing to sit there and talk with these people. A little overwhelming, isn't it, when you th think about what they've all done? It is. It know? is. And, and, you know, and then you have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them. And it's like, you know, you're talking with Billy, and I say, you know, what was it like to, you know, tour with Steve Miller? You know, and like Paul says, he says, oh, you know, I knew how to do what I was supposed to do, you know. You, you, you just... Listen to him when he when he's talking, and you know when you're asked something, and then you give an answer. You know, just that simple. And but some people, like Paul says, you know, you, you, it's a personality thing. But they're just a great family. I can't say enough good things about the Peterson family. You know what's fun, Dave, is that I bought my mom's house when she passed. Jeannie would have been 101, this, or 102 maybe this coming August. She passed away, and this is where the rehearsals have been held since 1958. So we kept the family home. The basement looks like it has forever and ever. So we all get together and at the family home for either barbecues or rehearsals. So there's if those walls could talk, I mean, we've had everyone from Oscar Peterson, Joe Sample, David Sanborn, Steve Miller, and of course all of our local bands in in there. And finally, about five years ago, I had people start right, right, signing the wall. So we got a good collection going. I wish they would have started it back in the 50s. Or th oh, can you imagine? Oh, man. The names. Yeah. Just unbelievable. Well, I really appreciate you guys uh, coming in. Our privilege. Has been Thank a, you, a, Dave. And, and, and the new music from both of you is available. Alexa knows where it's at, right? It's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Does. What's on the schedule next for you? When are you performing again, Bill? Uh, we're probably looking at doing a, a gig um, in September, September 9th, maybe, at Crooner's. Um, but it'll be probably a, you know, kind of a private 
deal yeah. more. And um, and it might be that we do an outdoors thing yet this summer, but we're still talking about that. These guys, it's hard, you know, I mean, Paul's got a very demanding schedule. What, Ricky's on tour now with Stevie Nicks, I think, is, yeah, you know, and true. Billy's got his touring thing coming up. He does. He's going to Europe in the fall. And then I'm the music director at uh, St. Patrick's Catholic Church if I didn't have enough on my plate. So that's really fun. <laughs> I love it. It's yeah. just a great calling for me. And God put me there and just said, okay, you're going to be here. And I went, excuse me? <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm there and I'm having a great time, with great people and really great worship. So I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to be there. Musicians never need to retire, do they? One minute you see Paul on stage with Peter Frampton just knocking it out of the park, and the place is just packed. And then the next minute you see him in the, in the backyard of the church. <laughs> and what's really amazing is I'm on stage with him. Yeah. That's where you got to pinch yourself and say, is this true? And you're looking over at Billy Peterson and Ricky and Patty, and it's like unbelievable. Brianne, anything you want to ask these guys before Brianne's a big Prince fan? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of just... Interesting. I was actually just thinking in my head, kind of placing you in that scene. And I just don't want to be trite, I guess, with my questions or even just, but it's just. Go for it. I am really proud that that's a Minnesota thing. It's Me so too. cool, you know, and it, it, it really just laid this kind of framework for live music, the appreciation for live music in the Twin Cities. And it's just, I've been to First Avenue so many times and I've probably seen, you know, different kinds of genre than right. obviously that was going on in the mid eighties and things like that. But I just always think about that when I'm there, it's just, you can kind of feel it almost this weird kind of ephemeral kind of mark that's still there, you know, that of so many different people that have come before, but also kind of someone so unique mm -hmm. and so special and so plugged into probably what you're trying to do with live music and creating music and things like that. So I guess I don't even know if that was a question. It's just, it's kind of a statement of, it was very yeah. nice to meet both of you. And it's very nice to meet you who is kind of a part of such a, such a hallmark time. That's so Thank special. You. Yeah. I, I think it's my duty and a lot of the alumni's duty to, to keep that music alive and going forward for the next generations to, to know and appreciate. And that, that's what the Minneapolis Funk All-Stars are. And by the way, we're going to be at Canterbury Park on September 2nd. Big outdoor arena. So St. Paul and the Minneapolis Funk All-Stars will be playing all the hits from the Minneapolis songs that you know and love with the people that helped create it. So come on out. I think the tickets are on sale right now, and it should be a fun show. Yeah, it be a great show. Yeah, undoubtedly. I'd love to have you there. The... Uh Show here, of course, brought to you, as I mentioned, by our friends at Star Bank. Great to have them along with 11 locations throughout Minnesota. Go to starbank.net. Or uh, you can also check out propane.com and get a chance to find out more about what they're doing as well with the environmentally friendly energy for all of us. They have brought you the show here today with St. Paul Peterson and Bill McCreevy Jr. We're thrilled that they would show up. Brian, thank you as always. Hey, Brian. Bravo, hey. bravo, bravo. Great job. And, of course, we will see you uh, next week here on the Talk North Podcast Network or go to talknorth.com and download this podcast at Apple or Spotify or wherever you like doing that. See you next week.